You're going to love this. Just love it. If you like feeling the burn, that is. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle From with Pacifica you. Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on 90.7 FM in L.A., on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast, and coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org. On the Progressive Voices Channel, on Netroots Radio, on Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, other affiliates in parts unknown, and Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us. For another thrilling, action-packed adventure that we like to call the Bradcast. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, you may be. Are you feeling the burn? Are you feeling the burn, Desi Doyle? Oh, I am. Oh, feeling you're the burn. feeling the burn. It's how hard could not you to. not? Yes. How could you not? N- at least not out here in Los Angeles, where some twenty-eight thousand, twenty-eight thousand supporters gathered at the L.A. Memorial Sports Arena last night to see Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders, who is attracting crowds like nobody else. Don't know if that means he's going to attract voters like nobody else, but he's certainly getting the crowds, and it's certainly a surprise to me that he's not getting a lot more coverage in the mainstream corporate media. We may even the score a little bit today coming up. Um, He's also uh, attracting protests from otherwise would-be allies from the Black Lives uh, Matters movement and those who would like to see him be more outspoken on issues of foreign policies, foreign wars, U.S. militarism. We're going to talk about all of that in a bit and um, and an exclusive interview that was done by our friend Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com with Bernie Sanders late last week talking about uh, Bernie's foreign policy issues. So you're only going to hear that right here. Oh, and over at RadioOrNot.com. So you're going to want to stick uh, stick around for that. Also coming up a bit later, our latest Green News report, speaking of things that aren't properly covered, as a state of emergency is declared in the U.S. Southwest where a number of rivers are running yellow. Yes, yellow. After millions of gallons of toxic goo has leaked out of an abandoned gold mine up in Colorado and led to drinking water and irrigation intakes being shut down to avoid catastrophe out there in three separate states. Also, a few uh, uh, GOP 2016 candidates are pressed by the corporate media for their positions on climate change a little bit. And Shell Oil tries to have it both ways. Desi Doyen will be here for all of that a bit later in the Green News Report. But first, 
Washington Post journalist Wesley Lowry and Huffington Post journalist Ryan Riley, both of whom were literally recharging their batteries and filing stories during the protests in Ferguson, Missouri, one year ago this week following the police killing of unarmed 18-year-old African-American Michael Brown, are back in the news today. Uh, Those two reporters were in a McDonald's near the scene of the protests one year ago when St. Louis County police stormed in, told them to clear out, and then they were handcuffed and detained for several hours thereafter for basically uh, not moving quickly enough inside the McDonald's where there were no protests going on. They were just uh, sitting there doing their work. And now those two reporters, incredibly, we learned uh, this week, both face actual charges now in Ferguson for what happened one years one year ago, and they have been ordered by St. Louis County officials to appear in court this month. The summons says they both face charges if they do not appear. Washington Post put out a statement on this bizarre turn of events last night. Quote, charging a reporter with trespassing and interfering with a police officer when he was just doing his job is outrageous, said Martin Barron, executive editor of The Post, in that statement. You'd have thought law enforcement authorities would have come to their senses about this incident. Wes Lowry uh, should never have been arrested in the first place, Barron says in the statement. That was an abuse of police authority. This latest action represents contemptible overreaching by prosecutors who seem to have no regard for the role of journalists seeking to cover a major story and following normal practice. Huffington Post similarly condemned the charges against their reporter, Ryan Riley. Uh, they, uh, their statement, they put out a statement as well, saying that Ryan has the full support of the Huffington Post in fighting these charges. A crime was committed at the McDonald's, not by journalists, but by local police who assaulted both Ryan and Wesley Lowry of the Washington Post during violent arrests. The Huffington Post added, at least we know St. Louis County knows how to file charges. If Wesley Lowry and Ryan J. Riley can be charged like this with the whole country watching, just imagine what happens when nobody is. At the same time, as we reported yesterday, protests marking the one-year anniversary of the killing of Michael Brown continued this week in Ferguson. They were marred by uh, some violence over the weekend when a shootout between rival gangs and police left one teenager critically injured. It later turned out that uh, while that shootout was near the protest area, it had absolutely nothing to do with those protests. Nonetheless, A state of emergency was subsequently declared by St. Louis County officials yesterday, and dozens were arrested, including esteemed professor, an African-American activist and scholar, Cornell West, and, yes, some reporters were detained once again. So there's a lot going on out in Ferguson, Missouri this week, where the Black Lives Matter movement was born one year ago this week. And where Cassandra Fairbanks, covering the protest for Sputnik News, ran into a bit of trouble herself yesterday and I'm told was briefly detained. Joining us now from Ferguson, Missouri, is Sputnik's Cassandra Fairbanks. Thanks for taking out the uh, time for us uh, for the broadcast, Cassandra. Great to have you back. Thanks for having me. Sure. Now, uh, before we get to your own detention yesterday... 
What is going on today in Ferguson? Uh, ha have the protests over the last, last couple of days begun to subside, or, or will they be continuing today and tonight, to your knowledge? Um, there's not really any protests happening at this exact moment, mm -hmm. but um, I'm sure there will be tonight. Um, I've also heard a little bit of rumbling that they're debating putting on uh, or putting in place another curfew, which, as we know, does not go well. <laughs> yes. So, um, <laughs> was there a curfew we'll in place last night, Cassandra? No, there was no curfew okay. last night. And what was the scene like last night? Was the protest mostly peaceful? Was there any uh, sort of violence? Uh, and what would make you think they would put a curfew in place tonight if uh, things were generally peaceful last night? Well, um, last night things were generally peaceful. Um, during the highway action earlier in the day and during the action at the Department of Justice, there were mass arrests. But last night at um, on West Florissant, um, Florissant, mm -hmm. there it was generally peaceful. I mean, there were some rocks thrown at cops. There were some water bottles being thrown at police cars. But um, it was just a couple of uh, random incidents. Mm -hmm. For the most part, it was pretty peaceful. People just hanging out, protesting, um, a lot of marching and things like that. But um, I just got a, a message from another reporter mm -hmm. um, who is over by the police department and they just said they're thinking about putting a curfew in place. Now, yes, so we'll see. Were you at? Uh, the, you you mentioned the highway action. I believe they uh, shut down uh, uh, Highway 70 out there for a time. W were you there when that happened yesterday? Yeah, I went with the demonstrators to the highway protest. Um, mm -hmm. I ended up getting arrested. <laughs> You were, uh, you were arrested as part of that uh, as shut uh, part of that shutdown. Were you taking part in the shutdown? Or were you covering it for Sputnik News at the time of your of your arrest? I went with them to cover it. I was invited to co to go cover the protest. Mm -hmm. So I was covering it for Sputnik and for Pinac and another site I write for. And I was just off to the side taking photos, um, taking videos. The police came out. Um, they said everybody who doesn't get off the highway is going to get arrested. Um, and they started screaming at everybody. And it was a whole ordeal. But I moved off of the grass and went down into, there's like a church parking lot right mm -hmm. next to where everybody was, where everybody parked. So I started to make my way back down there um, with the most of the crowd. Um, there were a few people who were, you know, getting arrested on purpose, you know, as an sure. act of civil disobedience. So they stayed up there. But the, most, the majority of the crowd moved down. Um, at that point, cops started running into the parking lot from, like, all over and screaming at everybody to sit down and that we were all under arrest. Um, they were like, sit down, you're under arrest, you're going to jail, sit down, don't move. They start tackling people. Um, so I immediately sat down. And another journalist I was with, Tim Poole, who worked for um, Fusion, mm -hmm. um, me and him sat together. And we were just like, oh, crap, we're getting arrested. Were you, um, did they understand at the time that you were arrested that you were there with the media? We were clearly pressed. I mean, I had a camera around my neck. I was standing off to the side. I wasn't protesting at any point. They were filming everything. They could clearly see that I was not protesting. I was 
documenting the action. Um, were you actually were you actually detained, uh, Cassandra? Were you actually brought yeah, into the station so and booked? what happened was I started live streaming. I immediately turned on the Periscope app, mm-hmm. and just so I could let people know, I was like, hey, I'm under arrest. Everybody is being arrested. There's dozens of arrests happening right now. Um, and then a cop came up, grabbed my phone out of my hand, slammed it onto a cop car, and then zip-tied me, and me and Tim Poole. And I was like, hey, I'm pressed. And he was like, I don't care. You're going to jail. <laughs> Man, that so. is amazing. And there was no there was no violence? I mean, was, was there any sort of rioting going no, on at that point? No, everybody was complying with the police orders, and he arrested us anyway. Um, amazing. They, were, they literally told us to get off of the highway. So... Um, you know, I moved with the people who were protesting off of the highway. We are doing exactly what they ordered us to do. And that's when they rushed out and they just started arresting everyone. Um, and then I was like, you know, I'm press and press. He was like, I don't care, going to jail. And then um, another officer eventually came over about 20 minutes later and he, after I was searched and he was like, are you, do you have credentials? And we were like, yeah, we do. <laughs> so, you know, he went and made a phone call. About 10 minutes later, he came back over and told another officer to uncuff us and get our credentials. So then they asked for all the information for Sputnik News. They made me give them the address for our newsroom, mm-hmm. the phone number for our bureau chief. Wow. Um, and then they called, verified my credentials. And then they let us go. That's uh, that's a well. You can expect uh, those arrests uh, first, ask questions later. Uh, apparently, so you can expect a summons. Apparently, a year from today, if we learn anything from what happened to uh, Wes Lowry and and Ryan Riley, um, Cassandra yeah, Fairbanks of uh, Sputnik News. Have we seen? Uh, or have you seen, I should say, on the scene there in Ferguson, the same uh, the sort of military police presence? Did you see that last night? Uh, the, the armored vehicles, the riot gear, the guns and so forth that we saw one year ago in Ferguson? Or does it look different than what we saw one year ago? Um, it definitely wasn't as militarized as last year, last night specifically. Mm-hmm. I can't speak for the other nights. I wasn't there. But last night... Um, it definitely wasn't as militarized as last year, but they did have two armored vehicles out. Um, people were saying that one of them had an LRAD on it. I couldn't see that far. Um, they kept it pretty far away from the protest, but they did have a line of riot police that went all the way from Canfield Drive to the McDonald's, like just going a block, like all the way down um, Florissant. And, um, you know, they had shields. They had their less lethal weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, they were definitely using pepper spray on people. They pepper sprayed a large crowd at the McDonald's. Um, they pepper sprayed someone inside their car. Oh, man. What You, so, you also had tweeted, uh, uh, Cassandra, a, an interesting incident concerning uh, the Oath Keepers out there, which is sort of this uh right wing, uh, sort, sort of a Tea Party-ish aligned uh, group. Um, t- tell me what, what happened, what you were uh, tweeting about uh, concerning the Oath Keepers, I-, I think, last night. Okay, so last night around 2 o'clock in the morning, the police pulled out entirely. Like, well, not entirely, but they, they got rid of the riot line. They had pulled out. Um, the protest was kind of dispersing. And then all of a sudden, Joe Biggs from InfoWars showed up with the Oath Keepers. 
Who? who um, I'm sorry. Who, was, who showed up with the Oath Keepers? The guys, the reporters from Infowars. It's like I a right wing conspiracy website. Sure, sure. Infowars, uh, sure. They showed up with like four members of the Oath Keepers in like military garb with um, AR-15s on their side. And so I'm sitting there, I was like, holy crap, this is not going to go well. Um, but actually, it, it, they were actually relatively civil to everybody. The main thing that I noticed that was a concern is the fact that about an hour before that, the police charged into the crowd mm-hmm. and like violently arrested this guy on suspe- suspicion that he might have a gun. And then <laughs> these four dudes show up with AR-15s on their side. And nobody bats an eyelash. Was like, the was the guy who they were uh, suspected of having a gun that they rushed into the crowd to get? Was he by any chance African American? Yes, he was, he was black and he was unarmed. And were these? And he was violently arrested and searched. <laughs> and were these four um, oath keepers were on, on the suspicion of having a weapon? Were these four oath keepers in uh, a military garb with AR-15s by their side? Were they white by any chance? Yes, they were white. And they were left alone. Yes. And so, you know, they, even if this guy had been armed, Mm -hmm. they don't know if he had, you know, a permit or was legally carrying, but they threw him out of the car. They put him face down on the ground on the side of the curb while an officer held a less less lethal pointed at his head. Like, why didn't they question whether or not these Oath Keepers had their permits? You know, they don't. What if they're not registered in the state of Missouri? Of Missouri, yeah, that's an incredible story. I'm uh, in one sense, I'm I'm kind of glad that they were there because I've been asking for the last several years, why is it that these, uh, you know, these guys, these right wing protesters, show up with these huge guns and they're left alone, and uh, you know, the the police, the feds, all back off and pretty much let them do whatever they want, as we saw out at the Bundy Ranch a year or two ago. But you've got right. these peaceful protesters like what you're seeing in, in uh, uh, Ferguson uh, who are treated in a very, very different way. And uh, it's an interesting story. Cassandra Fairbanks, please stay in touch with us as things move forward. Do you have any uh, sense before I let you go? Do you have any sense uh, of, of timetables here? Are, is, is there an organized effort? Is this going to continue for a while or is this just uh Catch as catch can, and we will see what unfolds over the next several days. Well, I mean, the people in Ferguson have been protesting every single day for an entire year, and they're not going to stop. They're not tired. They're going to keep going. So I don't think that they're going to stop protesting by any means. Um, I think that it will be up to whether or not the police decide to escalate the situation into riots or not. I don't think... I think based on last night that they're not looking to do that, and hopefully that's what continues. Has the state of emergency, by the way, has that been lifted, or is that still in effect? I believe it's still in effect. Cassandra Fairbanks of Sputnik News, thanks for uh, covering uh, this story today. We'll stay in touch with you, and I want to let folks know they should uh, they should follow Cassandra over on the Twitters at Cassandra Rules. As well, I believe that's your Periscope uh, address as, as well. Is that right, Cassandra? Yes. C- Cassandra rules where you can see uh, actually live footage, live streaming as it goes 
from the uh, from the Periscope app, which is really really cool and really helpful. Uh, I, I suspect to reporters like Cassandra. Thanks for your time today, and uh, let's stay in touch. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'll be back up tonight. Keep in touch. Yes. Good luck. Stay safe. All right. Thank you. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and then come on back and prepare to feel the burn out here with 28,000 supporters of Bernie Sanders. Although in, in this room, we may not be one of them. We're trying to hold his feet to the fire. We've got uh, someone who was there last night at the Bernie Sanders rally and Nicole Sandler's exclusive interview pressing Bernie Sanders on foreign policy. All of that, much more, including the Green News Report, all straight ahead. Stay with us. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Yeah, well, Bernie Sanders probably loves L.A. at this point after what happened out here last night. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We are in Los Angeles ourselves, and uh, last night... Well, they were feeling the burn in uh, in Los Angeles at the L.A. Memorial Sports Arena where some 28,000 28, supporters gathered to hear Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders speak. Uh, just remarkable. He is getting crowd while the media is completely obsessed with Donald Trump. And everything else that's going on on the Republican side, there is something that's happening on the Democratic side that it seems to me the national media ought to be paying more attention to. Bernie Sanders has been drawing crowds in the uh, tens of thousands uh, over the weekend. He was uh, up in uh, uh, Washington State, Seattle and Portland. Um Drawing huge crowds, his biggest crowd yet was last night in Los Angeles. Nobody, nobody on the Republican side, nobody on the Democratic side other than Bernie Sanders is getting crowds like this. Does that translate into votes? Well, that remains to be seen. Hillary Clinton still has a huge lead in the national polls over uh, over Bernie Sanders, although he is now within the margin of error in some of the early primary states like New Hampshire. So he is closing the gap, but it's a remarkable story, and it's remarkable to me that, that it is not being told. Uh, 
nationally. Uh, and and we too are, I, I suppose, somewhat guilty of not telling the uh, telling the Bernie Sanders story fully. One of the things that we've been doing is looking at concerns about Bernie Sanders. Listen, we're we're unabashed progressives here. That doesn't mean we're Democrats. That means we're progressive. And uh, Bernie Sanders is an unabashed progressive. He describes himself as a small D Democratic socialist. And, uh, you know, because it would be nice to see a candidate, uh, you know, unlike uh, uh, Barack Obama, who so many people sort of painted their own beliefs on him when he came in. If you paid attention to Barack Obama when when he was running back in uh, back in 2008, you know, he's kind of pretty much done everything that he said he was going to do. Whether you like that or not, you know, he said he was going to to get out of Iraq. Well, he has gotten out of Iraq mostly. He said he was going to expand the war in Afghanistan. He expanded the war in Afghanistan. For those people who didn't understand that Barack Obama was uh, kind of a corporatist, all they had to do was look at his uh, his vote to give immunity for uh, for spying on the American people, giving voting to give immunity to AT&T before he ever uh, became president. So, you know, people tend to, when they find a candidate they like, they, you know, try to paint them as they would like to see them rather than they are. So we've been talking about Bernie Sanders and the way that he actually is. He's been facing a lot of protests over the past uh, several weeks from the Black Lives Matters movement. First in uh, at the uh, Progressive Netroots Nation uh, conference in Phoenix. Uh, over the weekend up in Washington, he was interrupted. They shut down a rally entirely. Now, uh, these uh, two women who interrupted him and sort of took over the rally... The uh, National Black Lives Movement has said that they do not uh, belong to them, that they were not speaking for the National Black Lives Movement. But nonetheless, we've talked about it. We talked about it here. We talked we, we interviewed the uh, the leader uh, uh, of the uh, protest movement in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, that interrupted uh, both Martin O'Malley and Bernie Sanders. And Bernie Sanders has made a change, has made several changes to his campaign to address those concerns. For example, he has appointed a new national press secretary, Simone Sanders, an African-American woman, formerly the chair of the Coalition of Juvenile Justice's National Youth Committee. She's a big criminal justice reform advocate. She opened the event at Portland's Moda Center over the weekend, where Bernie Sanders drew some 20,000 supporters and she had a plan to give to the audience just in case that particular event got interrupted. Well, my name is Simone Sanders. And I have the privilege of serving as the chair of the Coalition for Juvenile Justice's National Youth Committee. And I am also joining the campaign this week as the National Press Secretary. Tonight, I have the pleasure of serving as your MC. Now, I have, I have some good information that says there, there might be a little disruption tonight. There's a potential for a little disruption. So, I want to be very clear. This campaign is about bringing people together. We 
hope there's not a disruption, but if there happens to be a disruption tonight, I want everyone in this stadium to respond with a chant. Can y'all do that for me? Can you do that for me? Okay, let me tell you what the chant is. We gotta be on one accord. I want you to respond with the chant, we stand together. Let's practice. All right, so in the event that there is a disruption, that is our response. That was Simone Sanders. No relation to Bernie Sanders, to my knowledge. She is good. Uh, The new national press secretary for Bernie Sanders. Uh, she went on to uh, to actually directly uh, speak to the Black Lives Matter movement, particularly on Sunday when she was speaking before Bernie Sanders uh, up in Portland at the Modus Center on the one year anniversary of the uh, killing of Michael Brown up in Ferguson. A year ago today. Officer Darren Wilson shot and killed Michael Brown and left his body lying in the street for four and a half hours. Following Michael Brown's death, protesters and activists took to the streets of Ferguson, Missouri, and they stayed in the streets for 365 days, galvanizing young people to do the same in Portland, Oregon, Washington, D.C., Chicago, Illinois, Los Angeles, California, Dallas, Texas, Atlanta, Georgia, and numerous other cities across this country. A year ago today, young people in America were galvanized in their determination that these killings must end. And they stood up to exclaim, enough is enough and black lives matter. Once again, that was Simone Sanders speaking before Bernie Sanders' uh, uh, address, his rally up in Portland over the weekend on the anniversary of the killing of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, where protests continue today. On Monday, the Sanders campaign released a very strong draft position on racial justice, criminal justice reform. They called for uh, a, a national holiday for Election Day to help combat voter suppression, which is hugely important uh, to the African-American community now more than at any time since the Jim Crow era, I would say. We talk about that a lot on on this show. So, you know, a lot of people were critical of those protesters and um, we were not one of them. We were not critical of them. In fact, this is the way democracy works. Sometimes you have to disrupt Sometimes you have to make noise to get noticed. And that has happened. And I would argue that it has actually changed uh, changed the Sanders campaign. And I would argue changed it for the better. Now, last night in Los Angeles, as I said, huge crowds, uh, some 28,000 people turning out to see Bernie Sanders. And Simone Sanders uh, once again spoke Uh, and emceed that event. Bernie Sanders was introduced by actress-comedian Sarah Silverman. Sanders spoke uh, to some of his familiar themes to that packed house out here in L.A. We don't take money from billionaires. We don't take money from corporations. And yet we have received more individual contributions than any other campaign. That was Bernie in uh, L.A. last night. He also spoke about institutional racism in his There address. is no president, none, one year after the death of Michael Brown, 
no president who will fight harder to end institutional racism than I will. No president who will push harder for fundamental changes in our criminal justice system. So uh, has that been enough? Has that been enough to uh, assuage the concerns of many in the uh, in the Black Lives Matter movement? Uh, I guess that still remains to be seen. Uh, there was a reporter from KKL9 who spoke to uh, just one of the African-American supporters who showed up last night in Los Angeles to uh, to see Bernie Sanders. And he he asked him about that point. You know, I understand what the what the BLM movement is trying to do, because that's me. You know, black male in this country, uh, targeted by the police. Was it uncomfortable? Was it abrasive? Yes. Was it necessary? I kind of feel like it was also. But, you know, the politics is not, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's rough. But in the end, you, you still support him. So Bernie Sanders? Yeah. Oh, yeah. In the end, I definitely still support him, 100%. So, yeah, politics, it ain't beanbag. Democracy, uh, you know, it ain't easy. It's not supposed to be pretty. It's not supposed to be so organized and perfect. Sometimes it does get a little rough. Sometimes it does get a little obnoxious. And sometimes, yes, I'm quite sure that uh, a lot of people were turned off by what happened over the weekend at uh, Bernie's event when uh, those two protesters shut him down. But uh, sometimes that's what needs to be done. And uh, the result is, I think, uh, for the movement, all the better. Look at all the changes that have been made in just a few days in the Bernie Sanders campaign because of it. But what about concerns about Bernie Sanders and foreign policy? The uh, the concerns, the other concerns that we spoke about on this show. Yes, we are quite critical even of progressives, perhaps even more so of progressives, perhaps even more so when you've got a serious uh, candidate like Bernie Sanders. Uh, we spoke about that and the concerns about his foreign policy uh, uh, positions last week with uh, David Swanson. The author, the uh, progressive, the peace activist with RootsAction.org. The group that has called on Bernie with a with a petition to speak up about foreign policy, to speak up about foreign wars, to speak up about U.S. militarism. Here's a bit of what David Swanson had to say on the broadcast about Bernie uh, Sanders just last week. He has a very mixed record. You know, he's backed some wars, opposed other wars. He's been uh, very loyal to uh, giving free U.S. weapons to Israel to use in their wars and has just in very recent times been been compelled to move a little bit away from that. You know, his supporters on economic and environmental and other issues have moved significantly on Israel-Palestine, and he hasn't, and that makes things difficult. Um, as to his his strategy of whether, you know, he's just trying to, to, to not displease anyone, you know, public opinion is strongly in favor of cutting military spending and taxing the rich. Both of those are very controversial among the rich people and the corporate media and so forth. On one of them, he's extremely outspoken. On the other, he's very quiet. So I, I think, uh, you know, you'd have to ask him where the strategy comes from. Hmm, ask him. There's an idea. But before we ask him, and uh, we will in a moment, 
Uh, our own, our former super duper associate producer here on the broadcast, Margot Piaz. We've we've taken her out of mothballs. Uh, <laughs> sent her to the uh, to the Bernie Sanders event last night out here in L.A. Actually, she has uh, she's moved on to uh, much bigger and better things oh, like yeah. um, working on the Mars, the next Mars rover. At, at Jet Propulsion Jet, Lab, Laboratory J, here JPL. in Pasadena, yes, yeah, yeah. So aside from that downgrade in her status, uh, we we called her into duty last night uh, to to attend the Bernie Sanders event. Uh, she tells me that the crowd she describes the crowd as quote beyond enthusiastic. She said there was a lot of energy in the room. She said it was like a sporting event, a championship game kind of feeling. She said as much uh, energy in that room. Last night at the L.A. Uh, uh, Memorial uh, Sports Coliseum, as when Al Gore entered the room at the Democratic National Convention back in 1999, where she also was. Um, even people in the media, she said, were laughing at what was going on on stage. They were uh, they were into the event. She called it pretty intense. She says she spoke to one of the Sanders coordinators who said that uh, he was very surprised, happily surprised, at the uh, the amount of local media which turned up to uh, to see Bernie, that uh, there hadn't been nearly as much uh, local media at other events uh, elsewhere around the country for Bernie. Also, Ernie Canning, our uh, our legal analyst at Bradblog.com, he was at the event as well. He wrote to me. He said, "I should have brought earplugs. Couldn't believe the decibel level." As we were leaving, we saw CBS and NBC trucks. L.A. Times actually provided front page coverage, actually touched on issues. But he added uh, they made sure to remind us every third paragraph or so that Bernie is supposed to be a long shot. Uh, On the foreign policy front, though, uh, Bernie pointed out, Bernie Sanders pointed out that he was the only candidate to vote against the Iraq war, says Margo Paez, though he uh, he doesn't mention his vote to go to war in Afghanistan. He said that war should be a last resort resort. Margo described uh, his uh, his comments as somewhat vague, uh, a vague statement, but perhaps strategic. She spoke with a number of supporters after the event uh, and and they were very enthusiastic about the speech about Bernie in general. But then she asked uh, asked some of these supporters about where uh, he, about his foreign policy stance and if they supported him on that. Here's a here's a montage. Margo Piaz speaking some of to some of the Bernie Sanders supporters before and after the Bernie Sanders rally at the uh, at the L.A. Uh, arena. What do you think about his positions on foreign policy? He hasn't released a platform statement on it yet, in particular in regards to Israel and the fact that he also voted yes for the Afghanistan war. What is your belief? What's your feeling about that? That's actually a great question because that's the only thing that I'm on the fence about is his foreign policy because I haven't seen him uh, speak as much about that as I think he should. Do you think he needs to uh, say more in regards to what his foreign policy stance is? I mean, yeah, you know, he did. You know, he he has touched a, a couple of. You know, that we need to focus more on talking to people, talking to other countries as opposed to going to war with them. And I think and I think that's the key. It's like, you know, why we, we, we need to discuss our issues, not just fight over them, you know? Yeah, and I think that 
he probably still is figuring out some of his stances on certain things because there's a lot of information he doesn't know. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes, probably at the top, that our president knows that people don't know. So he's probably still trying to learn what's the truth because he wants to fight for the truth. He's not interested in sharing information if it's not accurate. What, what would you like to see him say in regards to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, for example? Well, I hope whatever he says, it's to help bring peace between those different nations because as of right now, they're just war, 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 war. And I, I think he should come out with what solutions are possible so that they can have a more peaceful neighbor existence. Bernie Sanders is going to have to eventually talk uh, formulations yeah. to get in the right wing vote and because they only want to hear that. It seems like the conservative branch only wants to hear about war. We've got a right wing, a Christian right wing in this country which is basing its view of policy toward Israel on revelation from the Bible. And those people have got to be put down. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of giving them a pass. But he did vote no on the wars to Iraq. And the he distinction did. is with Afghanistan was that was the only true link that we had with 9-11. Right. Osama bin Laden was really in Afghanistan. He could have been caught there. That was the only real place that we could should have gone to war if we should have. And I believe he also said he begrudgingly voted yes on that. Yes. Okay. And he also says he's not going to war anymore. Yeah. So I support him. I'm uh, really not familiar with oh. that end of it. I'm really concerned with us here at home. And what uh, we, we are in such drastic um, measures over here that um, I don't have anything to say about that. <laughs> He hasn't said anything particular about Israel, stance on Israel, or the fact that he did vote yes for the Afghanistan war. What do you guys think about that? I was happy to hear today that he would think of war as a last resort rather than rather than a preemptive issue, like like it has been with other administrations. Um, I'll be interested in hearing what he has to say about foreign policy. It's a tough one because things change around the world rather quickly. He did say one thing, though, about the the trade agreement, which he was against, and that, to me, is a global movement. So to me, economics are connected to war. So to me, in essence, he did bridge it. How about you? Um, she said what I was thinking. Um, uh, war and economics are um, connected. The Middle East has something we want. That's why we're there. There's, there's no reason we should be fighting wars. Uh, again, last resort. All right. Okay. Thank you both very much. That was Marco pa uh, Marco Paez, uh, formerly of the Bradcast, uh, out speaking with Bernie Sanders supporters at the event out here in Los Angeles last night. You could tell, as she uh, described it to me, that people were sort of trying to rationalize. Bernie Sanders' lack of position on foreign policy. He doesn't really have anything up yet on his website about it. And uh, and so, you know, some of these supporters were sort of coming up with reasons why he hadn't been more outspoken on those issues. After we raised the subject on this uh, on this program last week, uh, our friend Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com uh, got an interview with Bernie Sanders and she brought this question about foreign policy and his lack of position on it uh, to him directly. Now, Nicole Sandler, Sandler, I should say, uh, Radio or Not, is is one of our affiliate stations. We're glad to be there. Nicole Sandler has guest hosted uh, this show, and she has uh, given us the okay to use uh, an extended version of her interview with Bernie Sanders late last week, where she asked him very specifically 
about his position on foreign policy. Senator Bernie Sanders is with us. And right now, it seems like uh, a lot of uh, some of the entities in this country and, and around the world getting the richest are those, um, you know, uh, selling us on <laughs> war. War profiteers. Um, I went on your website and under the issues, there isn't anything about foreign policy, about uh, war, about military spending. I have heard you say that, you know, we spend, we, the U.S., our military budget is more than um, uh, the next, what, seven, eight, nine, ten nations combined. Okay, nine nine now. It it changes. Um, We know that about 54% of our government's discretionary spending now goes to military purposes. Um, But I don't know a whole lot about where you fall in all this. How do we we stop that? Where I fall is I voted against the defense authorization bill. Uh, And I think I'm as strong on this issue as anybody else in the Senate. And that is, yes, of course, we need a strong defense. But here's what we've got. Uh, number one, uh, you have within the Defense Department huge, huge cost overruns. All right? It's no secret. Companies come in, major defense contractors come in, and they say, well, we can build a system for $5 billion. Well, it turns out it's 10 or $15 billion, so nobody seems to really care about it. Number two, and we have done studies on this in my office uh, and actually got some, some work done on it, is if you check out uh, the rate of fraud on the part of major defense contractors or uh, them reaching settlements with the government because they were ripping off taxpayers, you'll find that virtually every major defense contractor has either been uh, charged, found guilty of fraud, or reached a settlement with the government and had to pay remuneration. Uh, furthermore, the Department of Defense is the only major government entity, a- agency, that cannot sustain an independent audit. They can't. It's, wow. They don't have, they're so big and they're so complicated that they cannot, if, if you ask them, well, listen, I need to know this information. Say, well, we really don't know it. We don't have an audit. They're working on it. They've been working on it for many years. And I just pushed through an amendment in the budget process demanding an audit. So to answer your question, do I think there's a lot of waste and fraud within the Department of Defense? I do. Do I think we need all of the weapon systems that we currently have? Absolutely not. Do I think we can make cuts in military spending? I think we can. I can't tell you exactly how many. But then there's a broader question, and I think, you know, is that if you have an aggressive foreign policy, if you think the United States should have ground troops uh, in the Middle East, if you think we should be engaged in perpetual warfare, well, then you're going to have a larger military budget. Needless to say, that is not my view as well. I think uh, countries like I- uh, uh, organizations like ISIS and Al-Qaeda, very dangerous organizations that have to be combated, they have to be defeated. But it cannot be the United States alone, it has to be the Muslim countries in the area and the rest of the world, not just the United States. So add that all together is I think we can make cuts in judicious cuts in military spending without harming our ability to defend ourselves. Do, do we demand that Saudi Arabia step up to protect their own neighborhood? And that is exactly what we do demand. You're exactly correct. Saudi Good. Arabia has the third largest defense budget in the world. Nobody in America knows that, but they are the third largest defense budget in the world. And they've got ISIS at their doorsteps, and they have the nerve to say to President Obama, oh, why don't you send some combat troops into the area to fight ISIS? Right. And third, largest, third largest military budget, ISIS is at their border, 
and they want us to defend them. Right, well, and, I think and, we can defend them. and ISIS is at, at their border, and their response, I, I'm wondering if Donald Trump has been there lately, they're building a fence. And so uh-huh. when we hear that, you know, the country that, that I guess is most threatened by ISIS um, says, well, we're not going to fight, we'll just put up a fence, it makes me say, why are we spending trillions of dollars to, to go over there and protect them. I, I know you can think of a lot more, uh, uh, you know, more um, uh, better ways to spend that money here at home. Well, I sure can. I mean, you know, as, as you know, I mean, just to move to another area quickly, yep. we have hundreds of thousands of kids who can't afford to go to college. We have other people <laughs> with huge college debt. Yep. Yes, I think we should help those people. Uh, I think that we should uh, make sure that uh, everybody in this country has health care as a right. I think we should rebuild our crumbling infrastructure. I think we should have raised minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour. Yeah, I have ideas that I think will improve life in the middle class. And you're right, just spending money on the military to defend people who in some cases choose not to defend themselves uh, does not make a whole lot of sense to me. So you would be willing to play tough with our Middle Eastern allies some cases? Oh, absolutely. Look, here, I've said this a million times. I think the United States and other countries should play a role, a supportive role. But at the end of the day, it is not going to be the United States that defeats ISIS. You're going to need the Muslim countries in the region themselves. We should be supportive, but they have got to have the troops on the ground and they've got to have to do the hard work. That was our good friend Nicole Sandler of our affiliate RadioOrNot.com interviewing Bernie Sanders late last week, pressing him on the issue of foreign policy. Uh, she pressed him on that and some other issues. You can get the entire interview over at RadioOrNot.com. My thanks to her for allowing us to uh, to run that extended clip. Uh, you know, Bernie Sanders is not being interviewed like that in the national media. Arguably, Bernie Sanders is not being interviewed at all in the national media, despite the fact that unlike every single other candidate in the race on the Democratic side, which he's on, or the Republican side, uh, he is outdrawing everyone. 28,000 supporters last night in Los Angeles to hear Bernie Sanders. And we're glad to be able to press him on some of the issues This is what democracy should be about. In the meantime, in the mainstream media, all they seem to be able to talk about is where it is that Megyn Kelly is bleeding. We're going to take a quick break, and we're back with the Green News Report. Speaking of things that the mainstream media doesn't seem to want to cover, I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Don't touch that dial. Melting for you right here on the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, joined once again by our producer and my co-host on the Green News Report, Desi Doyen. Hey. Are you feeling the burn, Des? Totally, man. Totally Uh, feeling the burn. Bernie Sanders is about as good as they get on climate issues, is he not? Oh, yes, he is. He's as good as you can get on climate issues and as good as as you can get on pretty much everything else related to the environment. Well, and so therefore we don't spend nearly enough time beating up on Bernie Sanders in the Green News Report, but uh, he don't deserve it in this case. Uh, but we do uh, beat up on a lot of Republicans. 
Oh, they deserve it. They really deserve it. Uh, And once again today in our latest Green News Report. It's a state of emergency in northern New Mexico. The Animas River has turned an alarming shade of yellow. Toxic mine spill contaminates waterways across three states. You worked with Democrats and President Obama when it came to climate change. Only one mention of climate change in both Fox News debates. We don't want to destroy people's jobs uh, based on some theory that's not proven. Ohio Governor John Kasich backtracks on global warming. Plus, Shell Oil breaks up with Alec. All of those breakups and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comments. These bullshitters cover their unwillingness to act under the guise of unending inquiry. We can't do anything because we don't yet know everything. We cannot take action on climate change until everyone in the world agrees gay marriage vaccines won't cause our children to marry goats who are going to come for our guns. Man, are we going to miss him. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, 17 Republican candidates made it up onto the Fox News stage in two separate debates And the moderators from Fox News could only come up with one single question for one single candidate concerning climate change. Yeah, we think that climate change is going to be a thing in the 2016 presidential campaign, but apparently not until the general. Well, or at least not on Fox News. Correct. Where climate change doesn't exist. That's true. But more on that in a moment. First, stay out of the water. It's a warning that will continue tonight and tomorrow in the Four Corners. Muck was released yesterday while a crew used heavy machinery to clean up at an abandoned part of the Gold King Mine that's north of Silverton. The Environmental Protection Agency does say that an EPA crew that was trying to clean up toxic mining sludge that's been leaking from an abandoned gold mine for decades instead accidentally released an estimated three million gallons of the mine's toxic wastewater into the Animas River in southern Colorado. Way to go, EPA. The bright yellow plume contains toxic metals and is flowing into New Mexico and Utah. It's prompted states of emergency in Colorado. Colorado, New Mexico, and from the president of the Navajo Nation. Towns downstream have shut off municipal water intakes. There are tens of thousands of toxic abandoned mines across the West. That's according to Colorado University professor Mark Williams. These problems happen all the time. Almost every abandoned mine uh, has the potential for that situation. Unlike the mining company that abandoned the mine, the EPA has taken responsibility for the spill and the cleanup. And remember, with all of these abandoned mines, taxpayers foot the cleanup bill. Not the mining companies who make all the profits? Nope, they just leave. You're welcome, mining companies who make all the profits. In politics, as we already mentioned, the first Republican debates of the 2016 presidential campaign concluded with only one mention of climate change. That went to South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, who attacked Hillary Clinton and falsely claimed that action on climate change will destroy the economy. In her world, cap and trade will dominate that we will destroy the economy in the name of helping in the environment. In my world, we'll focus on energy independence and a clean environment. When it comes to fossil fuels, we're going to find more here and use less. Over time, we're going to become energy independent. 
Of course, we should also note that a policy of extracting even more fossil fuels is the exact opposite of action on global warming. Yeah, it was odd. He was asked about climate change and he said we need to drill for more oil. Go figure. Surprisingly, NBC's Meet the Press host Chuck Todd on Sunday decided to ask Republican presidential candidate Ohio Governor John Kasich if he accepts the scientific consensus that climate change is man-made. Well, I think that man absolutely affects the environment, but as to whether, you know, what the impact is, the overall impact, I think that's a legitimate debate. Of course, we have to be sensitive to it, but we don't want to destroy people's jobs uh, based on some theory that's not proven. Right. Why destroy people's jobs? Let's destroy their planet instead. Well, interestingly, Kasich's campaign staff later clarified his remarks, saying, quote, the governor has long believed climate change is real. We know it is real. We know man has an impact and we know we need to do something. So his hedging on Meet the Press was just to uh, try to trick the base, I guess? Apparently. What's your game, John Kasich? Finally, some good news. Oil giant Shell Oil has broken up with ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, the Koch brothers-funded right-wing group, because ALEC, Shell says, does not support action on climate change. In a statement, Shell said ALEC's position is, quote, clearly inconsistent with Shell's official recognition of, quote, the importance of the climate challenge. Did Shell Oil say that before or after they started drilling for oil up in the Arctic? After. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Oh, they want to have it both ways. They want to have it both ways. They know it's not right, but they want to play with the devil by night and an angel by day. Thank you very much, Desi Doyan. Oh, yeah. Smartly done. Uh, my thanks to Desi, our producer, and to Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess. As well, my thanks today to Cassandra Fairbanks of Sputnik News for checking in from Ferguson. Stay safe, Cassandra. My thanks to our own Margot Paez for her interviews at the Bernie Sanders rally last night. And, of course, to our good friend Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com for that extended interview with Bernie Sanders. We'll be back with you same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Until then, you can find me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Brad blog. You can also drop me email about any portion of today's program or anything else. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. All right. Thanks a bunch. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey.